The Google Podcast app is going away in April. Right now, I want you to take a look at the podcast app you're using right now. Maybe it's time for a new one. Check out podcastapps.com and try a new one for free right now. That's podcastapps.com. I'm Allison Langer. I'm Andrea Askowitz. This is Writing Class Radio. You'll hear true personal stories and learn a little bit about how to write your own stories. Together, we produce this podcast, which is equal parts heart and art. By heart, we mean the truth in a story. By art, we mean the craft of writing. No matter what's going on in our lives, writing class is where we tell the truth. It's where we work out our shit. Cheat. Shit. There's no place in the world like writing class, and we want to bring you in. Today's show is about story structure and all things done well in an essay. On this episode, we share a story by listener Leanne Yu. She's an anthropologist and writer based in San Francisco and Kailua, Kona, Hawaii. Ooh, I'm jealous of her. Me too. This story was previously published in the New York Times, July 17th, 2020. We'll be back with Leanne's story after the break. We're back. This is Allison Langer, and you are listening to Writing Class Radio. Up next, we bring you Leanne Yu. Her story is called TV Was My Family's Universal Translator. When I was eight, I learned that families weren't supposed to eat in front of the TV. Mealtimes are for talking to each other, not for staring at that box, said Jenny Lynn's mom, who babysat for me when my parents worked late. I had asked if I could watch Mark and Mindy while eating my plate of Sloppy Joes. That's not how we do things here, she said. My cheeks burned as I caught the exasperated look she exchanged with her husband before she sat me down at that long wooden table. But that was how we did things in my home. My parents, Chinese immigrants, who moved to San Francisco in the 1970s, communicated to us that it was dinner time by blasting the Family Feud soundtrack from the kitchen TV. As Richard Dawson smooched the ladies, Mom set the table. Dad slumped in this chair, grumpy from the 12-hour days he spent folding other people's underwear and towels. By the first question, we were slurping soup and reaching across the table with our chopsticks. By the second question, we were playing along. Sometimes we joked about the matching outfits we'd wear on the show. Other times, my sister and I used our awkward Chinglish to translate phrases like, name the most macho guy in Hollywood. Dad insisted that if we ever made it onto the show, one of his daughters must play the head of household role. Other evenings, we ate to the CBS Evening News with Dan Rather. The day the space shuttle Challenger exploded was one of the few times we let the food grow cold. As the president addressed the nation, Mom couldn't help but repeat what we had already heard her say dozens of times. Baba Shui, she said, using the Mandarin word for handsome. Look like Chinese Ronald Reagan, she said, gesturing towards Dad's jet black hair, molded with dippity-doo into the same tornado-resistant shape. When these shows were over, dinner and the only time we spent together were over. As a child, I knew families were supposed to plant carrots, drive to Christmas tree farms, and tell campfire stories. I knew my parents were supposed to sit across from me and ask me about school, but we did none of those things. Family time for us meant sitting with our chairs angled, 
as they always were, towards that box. I moved out for good in the mid-90s, but whenever I visited, it was the same routine, except that I got more of my favorite foods. Cantonese post-chicken with ginger oil, stir-fried Chinese broccoli, and tofu and soy sauce and Shaoxing rind. Dad bought dantat, or sweet egg tarts, so we'd have dessert as a reason to linger at the table for one more show. What we watched, however, started to change. I introduced my parents to friends. Mom's favorite was Joey because he was lovably hulihutu, or scattered-brained. But when it came to Ross, she thought Rachel could do better. My sister was more daring. She invited Carrie, Miranda, Samantha, and Charlotte to our kitchen table. Aya was on my dad could utter, shaking his head in disapproval. Even in its syndicated version, there was no avoiding the fact that sex in the city existed in a different galaxy than Mark and Mindy. My sister wasn't the only one to bring tension to the table. About 10 years ago, Fox News started joining us for dinner. Before that, the only political critique I had ever heard my parents offer was that George W. Bush's eyes were too close together. That, Mom insisted, was a bad sign. But now, aided on by cable news pundits, my parents started doing something new. Ranting. Too many immigrants taking jobs, not respecting the way we do things here, my dad said out of the blue one evening after we had just sat down to braised pork belly and bok choy. I didn't know whether to laugh at the irony of his statement or to rage back my disagreement. I didn't either. Habit took over and I just changed the channel. Although Richard Dawson was long gone, I was never as grateful as I was then to hear the familiar game show theme song. About a year ago, they noticed their cable bill inching up towards $200 and decided it was just too much. After many discussions, we settled on a $40 digital antenna. They would still get the same live TV experience, but no more cable news, I warned. The idea of free TV, however, overrode all else, and with that, my 80-year-old parents cut the cord. Since then, we've discovered how eclectic the programs can be on locally broadcast channels. I go home now to find my dad watching Grit, a station devoted entirely to old westerns, or my mom engrossed with a chubby middle-aged lady in a Hello Kitty apron showing viewers how to make Taiwanese oyster omelets. When I was a child, I decided it was better to lie to teachers or other well-meaning adults when they asked about what kinds of things we did as a family. It felt easier than admitting the truth, that we didn't do anything together except watch TV. After four decades at the same white table with its wobbly yellow legs, I now understand that we were, despite what Jenny Lynn's mom thought, communicating deeply with each other after all. We just needed a way to convey the things we couldn't express directly because of language, cultural, or generational differences. The TV became our universal translator. Through my favorite game show, my parents acknowledged how much they relied on me and my sister to take the lead for them. Through my favorite sitcom, Mom conveyed, implicitly, that she knew how lonely I was after my first breakup, and that I deserved better, just like Rachel. And through my parents' political outbursts, 
I have grudgingly come to accept that they are, after many decades of feeling like outsiders, expressing a sense of belonging by claiming this country as their own. Because of COVID-19, I only recently started seeing my parents again after many months away. Despite everything going on, I still come home to find a young Ronald Reagan appearing in Santa Fe Trail or The Last Outpost, looking like the all-American hero my parents remember him as. Without fail, my mom describes how handsome my dad was as a young man with his perfectly gelled copycat hairstyle. I resist the urge to tell her she said this hundreds of times. I just remind myself that there are fewer of these dinners together ahead of us than there are behind us. I just listen as I reach for more food. And together, we all smile back at the TV. I love these ordinary times Breaths before the moments And in these ordinary times I'm at ease with you I love so much about this piece. Um, So let's talk about some of the content before we even get into how she structured it and all the other things that we loved. She does this beautiful thing at the very, very end. So she says that really, like, she's understanding that, you know, this is her family and she won't have them forever. And then the last line is, I just listen as I reach for more food. And together we all smile back at the TV. It's sort of like, and we walk into the sunset it's a scene, it's moving, it's not over. It's so good. Because ending is often the hardest part. Yeah, this, and, and like we always it. tell people, if you end in a scene and you can show where you are now, like the change in the narrator or how this um, situation she discusses is, has impacted her, then the reader gets it immediately and feels satisfied. And um, and I think she does such a great job of that. And she's especially like a gymnast. She, she's like a gymnast who like does a bunch of twirls and then lands perfectly on two feet, and her arms are up. That's this. Yeah, she she landed it. When she stopped at TV, became our universal translator. I was like done. But then she goes on to make meaning of all of this in a in a bigger way, which is I have to learn from. Is that through our favorite game show? And then she sort of goes through, my parents acknowledged how much they relied on me and my sister to take the lead for them. So she dropped that hint earlier on when the dad says, when we make it to Family Feud, one of my girls is going to be the head of the household. So she really brings it back, which is also super satisfying. Um, and then through friends, she, they the break after that for her first breakup, she's trying to tell her without saying directly that she deserved better, just like Rachel. I mean, I was just like, oh. Um, And their political outbursts that they were just trying to claim this country as their own. She took us into her parents' shoes because she stepped into her parents' shoes. But not at first. At first she was like, "Uh, okay, um, I could just scream at them for how ironic it is that that my dad just said that. But instead she just churns the channel she, so we learn so much about what their family dynamic is and just that turning of the channel. And then she tells us, she steps into the higher register at the very end, which is something that we've talked about before on the show, I think. But it's this idea where she comes to, like, she can explain because she has told us her whole life history with this issue. 
And then she says, I have grudgingly come to accept that they are, after many decades of feeling like outsiders, expressing a sense of belonging by claiming this country as their own. This essay really, really um, shows the narrative arc, because at first she just wants to be, you know, she's sitting there and Jenny Lynn's mom is telling her, no, we don't do that here. Yeah, she feels like a freak. Right. And then we get to the end where she understands and probably doesn't feel like she has to do that anymore all these years later, you know? Good, you're right. So she totally changes as a character. And she shows, she does so many things so well in this essay. It's so good. She tells us very, very early on that she, well, she sets up the conflict that she's eating in front of the TV. And then Jenny Lynn's mom says, no, we don't do that here. And then she tells us so early on that her parents are immigrants. I just, exactly what her dad did, people's laundry. She, she, I laughed at this line and um, I don't know, it just made me laugh when like blasting of family feud was like their dinner bell, like call to the table. Don't you think? I don't know. That, that like it hit me funny when I just heard it. Yeah. Like no, that was super That's just funny. like an adorable thing that her mom or dad were, was doing. Well, this is kind of like the five C's structure, the story structure that that I, I love to talk about. Context, which is the backstory, the introduction to the narrator's world. And she totally does that right in the beginning. Then the circumstances, the other C, which is um, the event, which something changes in the narrator's world. And that's this Jenny Lynn thing. Don't you think? Jenny Lynn's mom? This, I would think that the circumstance was TV. What's the next C? The next C is complication, the obstacle. Oh, that's the, the narrator's face with a problem and a choice. Mm-hmm. And I think the problem is like, gosh, you know, here we have this family that's not like everybody else's. And everybody, you know, is wanting, my parents want to watch Fox and, you know, all these things that she doesn't want to watch. I think it's more, I think the conflict is my family is doing it wrong because we're watching TV my whole life. I don't know that it really matters. I mean, she gives us a specific example of the watching of Fox and she doesn't like that, but it's really the whole conflict is I'm in this family that's just outsider and I'm embarrassed. I don't really know the five C's though. So what's the, what's, what's the next C? Change, transformation. The narrator decides on a path and a plan to overcome the obstacle. I think she just arrives at a change. Acceptance. Just 40 years of this, and now she's like, I mean, yeah, that's what she sees it differently. She just understands it as their language. Yeah, and then the last one is consequence, so that's just the resolution. Oh, and maybe the consequence is um, I'm going to appreciate it because it's not going to last forever. I mean, it doesn't have to be, like, defined exactly But these things have to be in there. There has to be some backstory or introduction. There has to be something that changes in the narrator's world or some something that the narrator wakes up to. And then there has to be an obstacle for her to overcome. And then we have to see her start trying to overcome it, right? And then how does she end? What's the resolution? So I think that works in every story. Um, It keeps people interested, keeps people reading. They want to know. If I get to the end and there's no, like, transformation, I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, that's a situation. Right. Exactly. That's the thing that defines a story versus a situation or just an anecdote. We've talked a lot about situation and story, but I don't think that we can ever overdo it. 
So what is this story about? If the situation is my family watches TV, what's the story? What is she, what's the meaning she's bringing to that situation? Personally, I think it's, it's just maturing and growing up and, and realizing like, yeah, we're different, but I like it. I, it's, it's, it's made me who I am and I'm good with that. Acceptance of self. I think acceptance of self and family, because it is hard for us to, to all accept our weird ass families and all the shit, you know, like there's not one perfect one and everybody's going through something. It's another way for us to hear somebody's story and understand like, wow, look, people are going through stuff. So have patience, you know, treat people kindly and listen and try to understand them instead of judging right away. Oh, you let your kid watch TV all time, all day. Oh, your parents watch Fox News. They're, they're such idiots. That would be my reaction. But no, not after hearing why her parents watch Fox News and what and why they identify with not being those immigrants, those immigrants. Yeah, I get it. Also, she other things that she did so well details, the tornado resistant shape of her dad's hair. (laughs) (laughs) Holy moly, that's super good. And then it came back again, the hair. And also all the details of the food that are so specific and all the details of what she was watching, it had the, the effect of like such awesome nostalgia. The shows she watched. Oh, yeah. Like Sex and the City and Mork and Mindy. Americans. But even if you weren't, even if you weren't from that generation, I think you would still get it. That's, I don't know what grit is, but then she says a station devoted entirely to old Westerns. And I love that she's telling us about her dad without him, her saying, and he loves to watch old Westerns. She says, boom, by telling us the station, we get it. Or the mom who's engrossed with the chubby middle-aged lady in a Hello Kitty apron. So we get the whole picture right there in one sentence. But would a young person understand Family Feud and Richard Dawson and smooching the ladies and I I wonder um I do think it's an interesting question like who is this narrator's audience and does she need to explain every single thing to people who might not be her audience I mean maybe that's a a totally other issue that we could address on this podcast because I think it's a great issue you know like sometimes it's important to bring people into your world that's very different and you know it's different so you have to define things and other times it's it's okay to just commit to what you're saying and assume that people understand it. She brings in COVID-19, which puts us in the why now. Why is she writing about this now? Which it doesn't have too much COVID, but it has just enough COVID, right? Because we get that it she's only allowed to start. It makes it time appropriate. It makes it timely, yeah. Um, yeah, because she's telling us she's only recently started seeing her parents again. And then that's why she's noticed this same old TV behavior, but then now she loves it. You know, she just enjoys being with her family. She smiles back at the TV. Awesome. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you, Leanne. Thank you for sharing your story. And thank you guys for listening. Writing Class Radio is produced by Virginia Laura, Andrea Asquitz, and me, Allison Langer. Social media content is by Ariel Henley and Mia Pennycamp. Theme music by Emia. Additional music is by Emia, Ari Herstan, and Poddington Bear. There's more writing class on our website, writingclassradio.com, including video classes, stories to study, and editing resources. If you love this show and enjoy all the extras on our website, hit the support us button. 
and check out the writing classes and publishing insights we are giving our Patreon supporters. $10 a month gets you an all-access pass to Andrea, who can answer all your publishing questions. $25 a month gets you a writing class a week with me. The classes are on Tuesdays from 12 to 1 Eastern Time via Zoom. We write to a prompt and share what we wrote. A new episode will drop the first Wednesday of the month, so look for us. There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network.